0: Rolling. Rolling. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Agitator Podcast. My name is J. David Osborne, and that is Kelby Losak. Oh, damn. I'm at negative eight right now. Oh, that's probably because of the truck, huh?
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, it should be good. Now I'm I at just want to.
0: Negative three, negative 11. What are my levels at? I know I was really quiet in the last episode, though, so.
2: Maybe 69 is, you know what, 69 is nice, and uh, I'll, uh,
1: Mm -hmm. Just
2: remember to like amplify it or something
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. It's always better to uh, Raise, like you can turn the volume up But you can't really get the noise down If you record
0: too high Okay, well That's good to know Hi everybody Um, As I said, this is the Agitator podcast Where we record on Tazcams So that you can get a nice ambient Bro, we should start a band camp And just put our ambient sounds out on there Maybe make like five yeah. Five bucks a year, something like that Be like deep cuts
2: Hey, people Do that shit, people just look for those Sounds mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's, good. it's a good deal So today on the podcast we're going to be talking About the film Agitator Which is uh, also the name of the Tom Mess book The, the seminal Work on Takashi Miike And uh this you know this podcast right so um so before we talk about agitator the movie which is very long and very complex and slow at parts but overall really fucking great um i was thinking about the way that agitator relates to a lot of the struggles i think that you and i face as working class independent artists and it might seem like mm-hmm. kind of a stretch, but there was recently an article in Neutral Spaces that Sam Pink wrote, six thousand words, about his uh, style being ripped off by this guy Sean Conroe. The the book that Sean wrote is called Fuck Boy with two Cs and a B O I like really insufferable shit, right? Um yeah. <laughs> yeah. But
2: like what are you, bro? Like you 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 or something? Yeah. Buck is where it's spelled with a K. Dumbass.
0: Dude, I was I forgot to do this, but I was gonna post that I was really looking forward to Buckboy, and then post a picture of Malibu's Most Wanted. That was gonna be <laughs> That was gonna be like my move. Uh, but so anyway, so there's a lot going on with this story. Essentially, Sean sent Sam a bunch of emails talking about what an inspiration Sam was to him. And then Uh, Because Sean is somebody who went through, uh, I guess, like the Ivy... Is it considered Ivy Leagues? Like Columbia? The Columbia Writing School or whatever?
1: Yeah. yeah. He's
0: basically a guy who went through all these proper channels and just like directly lifted Sam's whole shit and ended up making a serious bag of money, 200K, off of his book. And some, some people don't give a fuck. I found it quite disturbing but i think that it relates to this movie and and we can maybe get into that a little bit but kelby what do you what do you make of this whole sam pink sean thor conroe situation
2: you know Sam sam's a real one he's a pioneer he, he, the argument of style and inspiration versus rip off it can go on and on but anybody who wants to uh, argue what this is can go read the essay and they can you know figure that out on their own i'm not here to play lawyer for anybody mm-hmm. but it's one of those things where um i i've been asked why you know i'm going so hard publicly about it and which i'm i don't know I've kind of said my piece too so i'm kind of like you can go to those tweets and see what i think right but it's just about cutting cutting the grass down, you know, seeing the snakes, you know, it's the contracts have been signed, people are going to get what they get, the Ivy League kids are going to continue, you know, sucking money from their parents, and doing cocaine, and acting like writing is some sort of social club, like, you know, have having their one book out, it's always debut novelists, right, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. always like mm-hmm. a debut novel from, it's like American Idol, you know, mm-hmm. it's like they win. And then they, like, get, except there's no contest. There's no, like, building up. It's like they're just already there. Mm-hmm. But it's like you get your shit out, and unless you're Kelly Clarkson, it's like nobody ever hears about you again. That's
0: true. What about if, Clay Aiken?
2: I mean, I get, did anybody ever really <laughs> listen to him? <laughs> like,
0: I don't think so. I don't think so. No, man. I.
2: But anyways, yeah, yeah. Sean is Clay Aiken, basically. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So just to kind of wrap up the whole style influence versus ripoff thing, it is almost impossible to convince people who don't want to be convinced that that's the case of what's going on. I mean, Sam spent, like I said, six thousand words making the case for this kind of thing, and um, I think he did it in a, about as clear a manner as you can do. But like, you know, you had uh, Sean, his uh, his friends kind of coming to his defense, and you know, and he's got friends who have some some pull. Some friends, by the way who you and I are also fans of. So it just became this kind of ugly shit, and it was like, this is all very disappointing. But, I mean, authenticity is an aesthetic like anything else, and some people care about it. I mean, you know, in music, you see this very often with black metal. There are people who are concerned with what's true black metal and what's poser black metal. Punk is the same way. Music fans are big on this, right? But at the end of the day, authenticity to me, means authentically engaging with the material that you're writing. It doesn't have anything to do with appropriation or, you know, or, like, style lifting or anything like that. But some of it has to feel genuine. Um, but on that note, I mean, some people don't give a fuck about that. And I know that that's true for me when I'm watching movies or listening to music. I might listen to an album, and I have no idea who this this person... Like, let's say I was listening to something like Bones, Right? And let's say that Bones was just completely lifting off of a you know a little-known rapper uh, who was just not getting the, the attention. I would never know that. And at this point, because I really like those albums, I'm not sure that I would care. So it's to me, it's that whole argument about like ripping off or not ripping off. It's a case-by-case basis. And like you said, I mean, there was a huge controversy a few years ago about this book, "American Dirt." and how it was, like, really appropriative, because this this white lady basically wrote a book about cartel shit uh, and the border, and they had a release party for the book where all the table decorations had barbed wire around them. Uh, like, just some really tone-deaf shit. And Miriam Gerba, who's a fucking badass, wrote a long essay, very similar uh, in tone, if not content, to what Sam wrote about Sean's book. And it created an even bigger, I think, controversy about this book, but I mean, American Dirt was locked in from the get-go. I mean, it was going to be an Oprah's Book Club pick. I still see it on end caps at Barnes & Noble all the time. I think it sold like crazy. So at the end of the day, it doesn't do anything, right? Like, Fuckboy is going to do what Fuckboy does. It could go the way of American Dirt, or it could go the way of, like, City on Fire, that Garth Risk Hallberg book that lost his publisher $2 million. So, I mean, all that is to yeah. say, but go ahead, sorry, go ahead. Well, and
2: I, you know, I don't think, uh, I, I've had conversations with Sam. I don't, like, know, know him outside of being, like, I've, uh, been a fan of this shit pretty much since the beginning, like, since Lazy Fascist days. He was one of the first that I discovered mm-hmm. in independent literature in general. Mm-hmm. But to him, like, it just seems so pure. Like, I don't, he doesn't mix in with this kind of drama bullshit. He's never even made much of, I think it might be on him that he doesn't have an agent of his own, maybe mm-hmm. because it seems like he could. Mm-hmm. So I think he's just pure, and you know it means he went to bat over the art. Like this has nothing to do with like no, nothing to do with uh, trying to gain or break down something or uh, you know, de- and definitely no fucking cancel bullshit. Because I'll, I'll stick by my guns about that stuff. Mm-hmm. I'll say fuck Sean. But at the same time, like, like, you, like, he, personally, and I know those weasley faggots might be listening to this, so, like, y'all can pull your own shit, and that's on you. Like, in trying to sabotage your shit, do your mean girl table circle joke. <laughs> but, like, if you're any kind of respectable person, which you're not, so have fun ODing on fentanyl next year. But uh <laughs> you can, uh, you know... It's just about that. It's just about showing who's a piece of shit mm-hmm. and you know, who's uh, who's the real ones.
0: Yeah, basically. I mean, not that we would ever have any power to do this anyway. But yeah, I mean, like the dude's allowed to write whatever he wants to write. At the end of the day, it sucks. You know, I would feel a certain type of way if somebody really ripped me off, um, and I know that I would. So I'm not trying to say that it's nothing. But at the end of the day, people can do whatever the fuck they want, and it's not up to us to be like you must be excommunicated forever. But, you know, I do hope, at the very least, I hope this guy feels a little bad about what he's doing. But basically, what I thought was really important was Sam had a line in there about how art has to mean something to to him because it's kind of like one of the only things that he really has. And I felt that, dude. I have have felt that from the beginning of being a part of writing communities. And I've just always felt like, there is such a thing as like as the, the the sacred, right? When you break down the word sacred, it comes from sacrum, and sacrum means uh, doorway, right? And basically, things that are sacred are things that are doorways onto the transcendental. Uh, they they basically are holy because they touch on something that's ephemeral and ironically can't quite be put into words. Uh, and they give people's lives meanings right like whenever people say like why do we write why do we make art etcetera etcetera uh it you you butt up against this like misty murky reason right that you're like i don't know it like it fills up my soul you can't talk about it without talking in an almost religious sense about it and i don't know man there's always been something a little gross and a little profane might be the best word for it about how writing can get turned into this kind of corporate middle management uh like everybody's rushing rushing to kind of like be in a position rather than actually write books that that make them feel that sacred feeling you know what i mean so like so when sam said yeah. that uh what i took from all this was what we have here is a case of something sacred being profaned by the forces of of capitalism, which create this. Uh, and by the way, I'm not about to go on like a capitalism rant because that shit is played out and tired. Uh, Capitalism's great. Yeah, exactly. I want a chain.
2: You know. Yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. All the all the fun stuff that I'm looking forward to the seas boiling and watching all the fish die. That's that's something that I'm looking forward to. Now nah, I'm just playing, but um, <laughs> no, but I mean like so. Take take the word capitalism out of it for a little bit because that's it's become what uh, who was it I think Illich would call it a plastic word maybe it was Illich or maybe it was Gerard I don't know but it becomes a plastic word something that like capitalism doesn't mean anything anymore it's just like a word that people use because they're upset with like the the way that their lives are going but basically you have this system this publishing system that has uh, rich people at the top right there's 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 no real meritocracy. Like, in in my estimation of it, back in, like, the 50s and 60s, some of the writers that I idolized, like Robert E. Howard and Philip K. Dick, um, they were able to send their work in through slush piles, and somebody would actually read them and say, hey, this book is fucking rad. Let's pay this guy an insane amount of money. I mean, Stephen King sent in the manuscript for Carrie, and somebody gave him a call and said, we're going to give you $200,000 for this book, which, in 19... 19- 69 1970 dollars yeah it was like a million it was like a million bucks right and so there used to be this kind of sense amongst publishing houses in general that yes they were looking for what would sell but they were uh they were willing to look for it right and the problem that we have now is that publishing houses are way too busy with how they look to their cocktail party friends and like being blue checks on twitter and having opinions about things like COVID and afghanistan so like actually do the work and do the job of reading through slush piles, one of the reasons I've never submitted to a big press is because it's a wait I know it's a waste of my fucking time right now as as things are so anyway, everybody ends up getting sort of published by uh through their connections and through you know following these kind of proper channels and being groomed for for a business and you know in my opinion the the sacredness of art implies that it should be the strength of the work that allows a thing to be to be published and for a person to be compensated reasonably in order that they might continue to do what they're kind of put on this planet to do. So anyway, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. That was a bit of a ramble. But...
2: Yeah, well, you know, it goes back to um, a conversation that I think you and I had publicly along the first episode of Evenness Radio. We talked about being jesus in the church when it's all you know with all the merchants mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. it's like get the fuck out of here like this is a sacred place
0: right yeah exactly and it's in it so i mean money is going to be a part of it because everybody needs money to live but i th- oh and i want that money <laughs> and, and, and i and i do too right yeah 100 percent. full disclosure i would like some money that would be nice um because you know the way that you and i live my heater is going or sorry my air conditioning is going on two weeks now not having been repaired because i had to wait for a carrier to order a a motor that apparently just came in today so we've been sweating balls over here i know you had water heater problems recently like flooding and shit yep and it's and it's just it's just kind of like you know we just sort of we would like a modest table where bro where i could make like fifty or sixty thousand dollars a year that would be nice that would be really nice so sell a few books and make that money but you know i think that we both know that we're gonna have to get really creative with how we do that because avenues are uh getting shut down <laughs> pretty much every time <laughs> pretty much every time we podcast right um <laughs>
2: I, I just want the ability to to uh yeah, no, <laughs> you're totally. Hey, hey, we're gonna find out who the fucking real ones are. Yeah, you know? yes, exactly. Because I, I am one of those people who I've got. I don't have just one life to live because I believe in reincarnation. Mm-hmm. But in mm-hmm. this, in this ca- incarnation, like that might determine the next one. And I just, I gotta, I gotta keep it real, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm not gonna. My son is never gonna be like, yeah, my dad got where he is because he sucked a lot of dick and he kissed the right asses and he just said what was right. It's gonna be like, nah, my dad's a real one. Yeah, like, yeah. He don't he don't give a fuck what anybody thinks. Like he stands by his principles.
0: So this takes us back to Mickey quite nicely, right? Um, which I'm not I'm not entirely sure that I, I made my point very well about the whole Sam thing. So I'll just wrap that up real quick in, in one sentence. Uh, people can write whatever kind of books they write. I think it's shitty to rip somebody off like that. And also the the system that we have right now can be very frustrating to people from working class backgrounds who are trying to do a thing and get consistently picked apart by the vultures so that they can continue to make more money than the, that they don't even need. Anyway, that's that's how I'll wrap that up. But with Miike, what you have is a real one, right? So I have this book, Agitator, by Tom Mess, and it goes into Mike's past a little bit. And so I'm not sure what all I've said on this podcast in the past four episodes, but now I actually do have a grip on what his upbringing was like. And uh, yeah, so uh, his dad, I think, was a mechanic and his mom was like a fisher person. Um, so he grew up in like a little village in Osaka, and his parents, uh, you know, scraped shit together to uh, to make a life for, for themselves. Because they're, like, uh, I think his mom was a first, second generation, maybe, Korean. Um, so they were, Im- like, a semi-immigrant family. And what he basically did was, when he was a teenager, he had no interest in school whatsoever. So he flunked out of all his shit. And he joined, a, like, a motorcycle club. Like, a gang, basically. And he would race motorcycles all day. And to hear him talk about it you know he's like yeah every few months one of my friends would die and uh and it was pretty crazy pretty crazy times (laughs) so he had he had designs on being a motorcycle racer and then uh he basically saw he said that the best motorcycle racer in his particular club went to a professional track and got smoked by like everybody on the track and when he saw that, he was like, okay, so I'm never going to make it as a motorcycle racer, so I should probably do something else. And uh, he, wanted to be a, he wanted to be a mechanic, and then he realized that that meant that he had to learn math and physics. And he said, no, fuck that. I'm not doing that shit either. Uh, and so then he went to film school because in the late 80s, early 90s, um, you could just kind of go to the film school, I think, for free. So he was like, okay, I'll go to this one. And he he went to none of his classes. Um, well, he went to two he basically says that he went to two classes and dropped, like, didn't do anything else. And so, basically, at one point, they needed an intern to work on a TV show, and all of his classmates were busy doing their final class projects. And they knew that Mike was the only one who, like, didn't have anything going on. So he uh, he became an intern and worked for ten years in the film industry, doing like every job that you could do, from sound to you know, all the way up to first assistant director. And then finally in 1995 they gave him a chance to hop on and direct something called Lady Hunter, which I think was about women in bikinis who solve crimes. And, nice. and then he just kind of moved up from there, right? So in, in, the, in the figure of Miyake, what, what I see and what I find inspiring is a person who did kind of like kind of like what we hope to do, right? If somebody were to go back and look at our pasts, they would see very similar life stories. And then, you know, just this this guy's outsider status and his ability to, you know, say, fuck it, I'm going to do whatever I want, actually eventually put him at, like, the top of the Japanese film industry.
2: That's a real hero's tale for the uh, the underground artist. We're getting really meeky right now. I have to piss. Sorry. Oh, that's fine.
0: It's uh, a powerful that's... stream.
2: Yeah yeah only only powerful men only powerful posters what how does the line go uh, in
0: wild at heart with uh, uh willem defoe's character he's like you're about to hear a racehorse or something like that when he goes to piss <laughs> I, uh, but uh so and it also relates i think directly to this film because i think this film is very much about the ways that the little working class workers uh, suffer at the hands of the more powerful people in their organization. But uh, I'll stop there and let you get a word in edgewise.
2: Man, gangster films are near and dear to my heart. So, like, I was just... Uh, I was sort of watching it purely outside the lens of the other shit that was going on in, like, our our little writing world this week. So, I like how, like, you're tying it in with all of that. And, yeah, I can definitely see that. The whole... Especially the rituals that they have of the, uh you know, the cups of bonding. Mm-hmm. And it, it's sort of like this. We're going it, to, it's like a gatekeeping society, basically. And it's, uh there is a lot of playing nice that has to go down. And there's a lot of ways to look at it. But I think where you're going with it would be that the protagonist, uh what was his name? Ken's? Kenzaki? Uh, uh,
0: actually, let me take out the book, Agitator, by Tom Mess, which everybody should pick up if you're a Mikke fan. You can find it on eBay. And Tom, if you're listening to this, come on the show. Um, okay, so the guy's name is Kunihiko of the Ken's. Uh, I think Kenzato group or something like that. It's like his first and la- okay, it's his so. first and last name and they, they use them interchangeably in the movie so it can get yeah get kinda of confusing. Yeah.
2: Yeah, the way that you do with your books and everybody gets mad about yeah, it. Yep,
0: exactly. Yep.
2: Um <laughs> So yeah, so yeah, he'd be like the uh, he'd be the Takashi Mike stand in or the Sam Pink stand in basically. Because uh I guess we should run through the plot. Sure. So people understand what these, uh, what these similes are like,
0: referencing. Uh, yeah.
2: Meaning referencing. Yeah, yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So the the so oh go ahead. You want to take it? You can take it, bro. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I can take. It. I mean, it's pretty fresh. I was trying to pay attention for this one. I'm always like the one that's like, what happened? Yeah. Like that movie ruled. I forgot what it was about. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but so basically, there's like three, four different, uh, Japanese gangs, and they're, they're big, they're, like, one's got 400 members, and one's got 300 members, I think one has, like, a thousand members, mm-hmm. and, um, it, they're all under the, uh, ten, Tensaka, Tensakai Syndicate, mm-hmm. I do know, butchered that, but, um, it's basically, like, a co-op, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, where they all, like, they have to cooperate to carry out their, you know, to, you have more power and numbers and everything, but that means that you have to, like, not shoot each other and shit. Yeah. Um, they seek to absorb uh, 500 soldiers of the Shiran group as well as 400 soldiers of their rival group, which is the Yokomizo family, mm-hmm. um, so that they can become the largest group in the syndicate. Uh so it's like they're trying trying to describe it I'm like i I guess I don't understand the mm-hmm. what exactly is the separation between syndicates and the families, mm-hmm. but it's it's these gangsters trying to grow their their reach trying to uh, grow their ranks by dipping into these rival gangs mm-hmm. trying to recruit both of them mm-hmm. so there's some youngins in the gang they don't really fuck with this they've got like you know their their principles they're like no we don't fuck with those people Mm -hmm. we are not going to join up with them and uh sort of start going on a spree of assassinating everybody to uh just sort of break down this whole system of sort of faux cooperation and uh a a shallow absolvement of sins in order to just gain power basically because what that means when it's involving like when it's involving gangs joining up that doesn't mean just like hey let's not shoot each other let's be friends that means y'all have for years killed our family members you've like harassed us you've stolen from us you've like been rivals in business venture, and you know i mean you know whatever whatever you want to define business ventures as for them but like you've been the competition in often violent ways so like there's the like cycles of revenge going on through all of it and then it's like hey y'all just forget about all that Mm. and come join us because it'll make us more money and shit right and y'all y'all still gotta like basically just do what you do but you're gonna have to get along now, because we say so.
0: Right. That's a that's a good one. Um. So basically, the way that it works is that these two groups, the Shirane and the Yokomizos, are um, they have like kind of a tentative truce, right? And the the head of the Tensei group wants, like you said, to unite all these kind of gangs together, and not just unite them, but uh, also kind of, um, you know, move move their power up essentially. And so what they do is they go to the the, the second-in-commands of the of the Shirane group, and they say, like, hey, what we're gonna do is we're gonna incite a war, and what'll happen is the head of the Yokomizo and the head of the Shirane are both gonna end up being assassinated. You guys will move in, take their position, uh, the head of the Yokomizo will move up, take that guy's position, and then you two will kiss and make friends, and boom! We have power, right? So... They set this whole thing up by sending one of their, like, crazy, like, the they send one of their craziest guys to Yokomizo territory. And he goes into, uh, it's actually, the character is played by Takashi Miike, which is pretty funny. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: The
2: little blonde dude. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He goes into this karaoke bar and shoves a microphone up a prostitute's ass. Which is a really funny scene because of the sounds that the microphone makes. But also Mike had been catching some heat at the time for being called misogynistic and in true agitator fashion. He's like, so I'll play the character who violates a woman in this in this scene because because fuck you guys. Um so he basically gets killed, right? He gets stabbed to death by one of the Yoko Mizos. And from then that's their that's basically all the excuse that the higher-ups need to set this plan in motion so they order the assassination of the yoko mizo head uh who's a guy who likes to build little battleship miniatures so he gets murked and then basically the shirane's second in command they give up their guy like they send the information out about like where he's going to be and how vulnerable he's going to be and so the yoko mizos under which is the higuri group which contains uh kunihiko it gets very confusing like even as you're watching it, but you kind of you kind of get it because the movie is three and a half hours long, so it's not like all of this is flying at you as fast as I'm explaining it. Um, so basically, like they go and assassinate the Shirane guy. The plan works. The Yoko, the the new newly in command Yoko Mizo and Shirane's shake hands, and uh, pretty soon the Higuchi group finds out that they have been used as pawns in all of this and they're fucking pissed because their leader has been murdered, right? Like, they're... It's basically this, um... This plan doesn't quite work as well because they underestimate the loyalty of the men who are beneath these people, right? And what they've ended up doing in trying to unite the clans is they have created like a deep, vicious blood feud between the two groups, right? Um... So, like you said very well, you know, it's this kind of story of, um, of these powerful forces that to them it's just nothing. They're just manipulating pawns on a chessboard, and then you have, this kind of group of agitators that get smaller and smaller and smaller, right? As people get picked off in their small group, other other yakuza start to defect to the big system, and they're like, "Look, man, you know, this is too big. We can't fight them all. Like, we've got to." We've got to just absorb or get fucking, like, we have to be absorbed or fucking die, right? And the hero of the movie, and I think this is what's saying a lot, the hero of the movie was like, I will go on a suicide mission and kill as many of them as I possibly can before I die because of his principles, right? And his loyalty to his, both his former big boss and his like big brother character who also gets assassinated, you know what I mean? yeah
2: yeah because it also has these flashbacks where he he was basically abandoned like um his mom ran off on him and uh he has nowhere to go as a child and his who ends up being his boss of that small uh clan under the yokomizos um he was sort of like one of his local childhood idols growing up and they're not super far in age but like he was a little kid when the boss was saying that um you know he was gonna be a big boss one day and all this stuff and he was like oh you gotta let me in your gang and everything Mm -hmm. and then he comes to him years later and is like hey you said you'd let me in your gang and it's when he's like just a boss and everything Mm -hmm. and uh he you know he he ends up taking him in and everything and then that's like sort of their history is like it's sort of a brotherly bond like it's very much a little brother big brother thing Mm -hmm. and uh yeah he's just yeah he's willing to die about that and it's also the it's the 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 sort of um principles as aesthetic versus honest to god principles like because the the powerful you know it shows several at least three times it shows them doing that uh they take they drink from uh, cups in front of each other mm-hmm. in this big, like, ceremonious, uh, sort of ordeal where, like, that signifies the new heads, the new bosses of each clan, like, sort of making a truce, making a pact. But it's this sort of shallow symbolism that is just like, it's, it's a business thing. It's, it's all business. It's ceremony and it's ritual, but it's all about business. Mm-hmm. And, where it's like you don't necessarily even have to know the person sitting across from you. Whereas fucking Kenzaki and the boss, like they have history, Mm -hmm. their loyalty, like their bond is through history together. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, you end up with, um, the reason why the movie is three and a half hours long is because Miike is very deliberate in giving almost every character in the movie, at least a scene to kind of shine, and there are several long scenes of, you know, business meetings between Yakuza, and also contrasted with, like, the the low-level foot soldiers kind of hanging out in their hot apartment, and just kind of waiting around to be given orders, basically, and they get into all sorts of shit, they, like, they kidnap this kid and force a tattoo on him, like, force him into the gang, uh, there's, like, the, the guy who does the tattoos is, he was the, um... He was the guy who drowned the hooker in shit in Dead or Alive. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, and he, he basically plays this bit part of this, like, raging alcoholic who does tattoos for the Yakuza. Um, so basically, like, you spend a lot of time, like, kind of sinking into the environment and getting to know these characters and getting the real impression, like you said, of the higher-ups having ritual and ceremony and propriety and and a sharp sense of what is advantageous for them both financially and for their own lives and you contrast that with these people who actually buy into the 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 principles themselves and aren't have no interest in self-preservation whatsoever like they're going to be agitators and they're going to uh kind of stand up i guess for what they believe in and i think that that's exemplified really really well um in the character of of Suchia is a yokomizo boss so he's basically uh Kunahara's Kunahara's boss right he has to listen to this guy right mm-hmm. and he's sort of like he's taken aside by Kaito who's the Tensei boss and the Shirane's who are doing this plan which by the way also one of the Shirane men is the guy from Visitor Q, which i thought was really funny um but uh So basically, like, they take him aside and they say, look, you're going to go along with this plan or you're not walking out of here alive. And he's... You you can almost think that, like, in that... If it had been, you know, Kunihiko in the room, then, like, he would have just died, right? Like, he wouldn't have gone along with it. But in that moment of pressure, Sushia basically says, okay, you know, I guess I'll... I will preserve my own skin and and we can go ahead with this plan. Because it's like... You know, the advantages are you make a boatload of money, you gain more power, or you die right now. And he makes the choice that I think most people would make in that in that scenario, right? But as the movie goes on, you know, he kind of, he does what people who make this decision do, which is, like, you ever meet somebody who, who makes a bunch of money doing, like, some, doing some dumb shit, and then all of a sudden it's like they, they earned it, you know? like no 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 this is kind of like goes back to the conroe shit when he got mad at sam and was like bro you know i earned this because i because I, sam told him that the, that the book sucked basically and that like because i hustled because i hustled because i was on
2: i was on my grind going to like i had to go to school bro mm-hmm. like you you don't know what it's like in these streets walking to campus
0: <laughs> exactly right so people get really defensive about this shit when you call and they're like hey you uh so anyway, Sushia so gets that way, and I th- it all comes to a head in this scene where Kunihiko repels down into this guy's apartment towards the end of the movie, and finds him like uh, suckling or gnawing on a prostitute's leg, and he's like, yeah, that was weird. He's like he's like all high and shit, and basically in one of the most kind of brutal stompings I've ever seen outside of like maybe Drive. It's like this one and Drive have two of the worst stompings I think. He he was going to to shoot Sushia, but he actually like drops his gun, and in that moment, bro, when he drops his gun, I was like, no way! Like he's gonna let this dude live, but he drops his gun and then just like beats him to death with his bare hands. Uh and the sound effects do a lot of work, right? Because he's just he's oh yeah, just going. It,
2: that's such a great scene because you know Mike is not one to pull back from violence ever, and I think this says a lot about like Mike's. Uh, instincts as an artist Mm -hmm. that instead of going like full like cathartic cartoonish like gore Mm -hmm. like he could have like shot him through the head and maybe the bullet goes through the, the hooker's foot and blows like the cocaine off the table and all this crazy shit but he decided this was such an intimate moment that this is where we're gonna see like this character's true character he drops the gun, throws the dude behind the couch, and we don't see him making contact. Mm-hmm. We just see him swinging, mm-hmm. and we hear the like we hear we hear the contact. Yeah, we hear like rip, rip, like ribs
0: breaking, skull getting busted open, all that kind of shit.
2: So much more powerful than because yeah no he just beats him literally to death mm-hmm. in just super brutal intimate fashion.
0: Mm-hmm because at this point this guy has not only killed his big boss but he's killed that big brother figure of his right and it's a rage that he does not he actually doesn't kill as brutally the guy who actually killed his his big brother basically right he just shoots that guy right at the end mm-hmm. cuz that guy's just an assassin that guy's just that's just what he does you know there's not the animos the animosity i think it's 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 an interesting choice that the animosity is reserved for, like, the cowardice of the people who, like, made the decision, rather than the people who pulled the trigger. I think that's saying something. Well,
2: and, like, people with boots on the ground, they understand that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why you do often at lower levels, but from one lower level to another lower level... You often have people like rolling together, and it's like you know that dude killed that other dude's cousin, but it's like you know, we know what the game is. Mm-hmm. But that's not, he understands that that dude was paid, and of course he's gonna kill him because he killed his boss, he killed his big brother. Mm-hmm. But he was just paid to do it. Yeah.
0: He gets that. Yeah.
2: You know, yeah. it's 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 the fucks at the top that really deserve the beating,
0: mm-hmm. which is like uh, Moroi, the guy from Visitor Q, who's a Shirane. Um, who's one of the Shirane plotters. Like he j- he gets uh, lynched by his foot and gets the shit kicked out of him. The other guy, whose name I can't remember, so many Japanese names, bro. Um, the like, the other guy is like getting shaved and he gets like his chest cut open. Which it was like in the YouTube version, like the gore on that was blurred. I thought that was weird. That like, I don't know if that was something that like the Japanese censors actually did or the guy who put the video together did for YouTube community standards or whatever?
2: Maybe he found... Maybe whoever bootlegged it mm-hmm. had a Japanese copy, and they're pretty, like... Because you could also tell that Mike on purpose knew that there were some things they were going to censor. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it goes back to distribution. Whoever was the production company was probably, like, you know, they're Japanese and they're under Japanese censorship. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's no penises when there's they're very there could have been a lot of dicks in this movie because mm-hmm. there's like naked dudes in bathhouses and stuff but they're always covering their dicks um and i think Mike was like conscious of you know like they're just gonna like pixelate that shit and it'll look retarded so mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. yeah yeah i was, I was a little yeah, bummed it, about that i wanted to see the the chest wound opened up but um but no yeah it was uh so, yeah, so, I mean, that's that's pretty much the movie. I think what it does the most successfully, actually, is kind of give you a, a, a real sense for, I don't know, like the kind of blood bond between these men. And, yeah, it acts as a really great allegory for something that I feel deeply as a working-class guy who has tried to make it in, um, you know, arenas that are distinctly not working-class. Is like this, just this feeling of, like, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I think that, that working-class people uh, do have principles, and listeners might not agree with those principles, especially when they pertain to things like sexuality, right? But they have them, and they kind of stick to them. And elite people, in my opinion, they don't have any real principles at all, right? Uh, which might seem like a bold statement, but I'm going to stick by that. Because I don't think that they actually really believe in anything besides succeeding.
2: That's it. Yeah. No, I 100% believe that. And that's why, like, the the essay, the Neutral Spaces essay, uh, why I fucking love seeing it out there and people actually reading it is because that's all I want is people. But personally is people to acknowledge that these people have no fucking soul yeah like and and they don't they're not gonna fucking get it <laughs> they're not gonna get it <laughs> like they just they, they don't they, they don't have any principles so they're not gonna fucking understand mm. and like it's like talking to a brick wall mm. but like in the end you know there 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 can be the, there can be the Mikes who go from you know, motorcycle club to big-time film director, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I hope Sam Pink casts his day in the sun because that'll be, I think he's earned it. Um, but beyond all of that, yeah, that I mean that that that's what this that's what this movie is so uh, is so cathartic for, mm-hmm. um, and I appreciate the reservation of like, say, if this were an American movie. He'd have probably gone crazy on everybody that he murked. Mm-hmm. But but Miki made him a... He's reckless in the sense that he will do it. Mm-hmm. Like... Mm-hmm. But he's not necessarily... He's kind of calculated with how he carries shit out. Mm-hmm. He doesn't just run in and shoot up the place. and He doesn't get up close and personal in everyone's faces. He saves that for the people who deserve it.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like...
2: Like the one, the assassin's assistant, whoever was like standing up there with the assassin when they merged the boss, mm-hmm. um he's he comes down and he's like, "Let's kill the rest of them." And the assassin is like, "Nah, I was only paid for one." Mm-hmm. And so he's like, "Well, w- well, can I use them as target practice?" Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Sure, whatever." Mm-hmm. So he stays behind and he shoots at Kenzaki, and uh, Kenzaki just likes to stick a dynamite and, <laughs> it at him and blows him up, like,
0: which was really funny. Yeah, there's all these little touches yeah, just... that are like that are like laugh out loud funny when you see them because it like, Mike, you know, not only do you feel like you could get raped at any time, but like you also know that it could turn into a Looney Tunes cartoon at any time, um, and that's just a really fun sense of like watching a movie even when nothing's going down. You're like something, something could, something crazy could happen at any minute, right? And I think that's like. Because uh, I was thinking about the slow pace of this movie too um, and how I found it very entertaining. Um, and then I'm thinking about other kind of slow movies that are more boring with it. And I think it's kind of like when something is really slow but and you get the impression that the filmmaker <coughs> excuse me, doesn't really have any ideas about where to take it, then it just becomes something that you have to endure. You're like, well, I guess I'm going to fucking sit here for 15 minutes and watch this long-ass shot. With Mike, it's like you might have a fifteen-minute shot, but you're interested because you you just never know what exactly is going to happen.
1: Yeah,
2: there's some great little shots too. The first, uh, the first boss hit that Kenzaki pulls off in the restaurant. Yeah, with the um, the dude stumbling outside the door as he shoots him, and he turns him around. He turns around and then he shoots him in the back, and then the camera is like fixed on the, the window that has blood dripping down yeah. it while he's standing there with the smoking gun. Like That was that was a nice little shot. James
0: Bond style. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's basically, it's like a little James Bond homage there. But like uh what the fuck was I gonna say? I guess that's it, man. I guess that's, that's what I got for Agitator. I mean, I just I think it's definitely worth watching. It's free on YouTube. Uh Oh, that's another thing. The quality on it is really low, but I, I found that endearing in a weird way there's a lot of like yeah there's a lot of shadows and things like that in some scenes that are dark That if it was like 4k you'd probably be able to see people's faces a little bit better but you just kind of like you see like glimpses of like a cheekbone or a forehead or whatever and you kind of hear the sounds and it creates this really sort of hypnotic effect i think i like low res low quality cameras and i feel like they should make a Make a comeback. I asked a buddy what Mikey shoots on, like, w- like what he shot, dead or alive, on, and he's like, "Oh, dude, that's that's a uh, Super sixteen, almost, almost certainly." And I was like, "Can, can you do that with like a DSLR?" And he's like, "Yeah, for sure. You just get like a, you. There's some settings that you go into, and you know, some filters that you can put on it to to give it that look." But I, I think movies should. Uh like I always turn motion smoothing off on my TV and I don't like watching things in 4K because I hate that shit because it looks fucking weird bro like it's it's
2: it looks like a soap opera
0: it's hard to watch right yeah cuz you you want the motion smoothing off and you want it to look like you want it to look like a movie basically um but I would go even further and I'm like I'm not even sure for some movies I mean if you're watching Star Wars or some shit you want it to be crisp because you want to see all the spaceship explosions and what have you but um if you're watching a movie like this i think it's i think it's actually kind of interesting to to see the the grain and and to have it be kind of murky
2: it's like reading the bible in a corrupt file pdf or something yeah
0: it's a good way of putting it yeah i like that reading it in a corrupt file yeah i see i used to think it would be a funny move to like write a book and then translate it into Japanese on like Google Translate and then translate it back into English and have that just be the book. That might be a fun experiment, actually. <laughs> to just that like,
2: would be interesting. Just and if it's mostly right, then you could just do it again and be like, shit, I translated my own book. Here you go, Japan. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> Man, I want like I uh, I'm a big fan of uh, people like uh, Ryu Murakami who wrote you know Audition and uh, the guy who wrote Aud- uh, not Audition but Agitator. It was based on a novel, right? His name is uh, Shigeru Takechi, and that's from memory, so that might be wrong. But uh, Takechi, appara- yeah, apparently he started off as a novel, so of course the first thing I do is like, let me go see, try to find this novel, right? And of course it's not available anywhere. And I'm like, and then it dawned on me, like, we only get, like, the bestsellers out of Japan. You know what I mean? And then it made me wonder, like, what are, what are the indie people over there doing? I bet you they're up to some wild shit.
2: Yeah, can you imagine? That's why, like, I do um, sell, and by this I mean, like, I'll sell one copy every three months or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like, my shit sells in Japan every once in a while, and I think it's because people around the world speak multiple languages, and Americans suck at at learning anything past English, or like, enough to get through high school Spanish or whatever. Mm -hmm. I did have, so, I actually had a question reserved for uh for this one uh, sort of a a note to go out on okay um so in our in our underground genre scene there's a word among the purists which it is i admire where they're coming from but i think the definition has been bogged down too hard i think it's unfair but there's a there's a dirty word and that's transcendent. Mm-hmm. Do, you think, do you think Mike is a transcendent artist?
0: That's an interesting question. Um, sometimes. Sometimes. Um, because my understanding of, of transcendence is uh, you know, touching something that's ineffable. Um, usually transcendence, to me, has some kind of spiritual connotation. Like, if you're looking at it from terms of, like, Immanuel Kant the transcendent is everything that's outside of what we can perceive that was kind of Kant's big question that uh, you know some people spend decades and decades of their life reading this ob- obtuse German guy who's basically trying to say like hey man there's all this stuff that we can perceive but then what about everything that we can't perceive uh, to, to, to which I'm like yeah man that's fucking wild dude Um, I I think you might be right. Um, so when it comes to terms of like transcendent, I think there is a, there's a quality that you feel when you sort of read certain books or watch certain movies where it kind of like, it, it makes you feel a little uneasy because you feel like it's opening up to like some really big questions. David Lynch does this all the time. Right so the number one transcendent filmmaker that I could think of would be somebody like David Lynch who uh is constantly sort of hinting at this otherworldly uh, uh transcendence right um now transgressive he definitely is right like he's he's definitely transgressing a lot of social mores uh uh basically like his movies in terms of Japanese culture they deal with a lot of like mixed race people people from different countries uh, gay people, uh, bi people, trans people, um, even a hermaphrodite in Fudo. There's there's a lady who has a dick uh, and a, and a pussy, um, which is crazy, by the way. That would be the wildest shit ever to have both. <laughs> that would just be that would just be fucking wild. greedy, man. I know, but so in terms of in terms of like something like transcendence, I think that really depends on whether or not it makes you feel a kind of spiritual quality, and I think that. Uh, Agitator has that. I think that Itchy the Killer has that. So, I guess my answer is not very satisfying, but I think, I think sometimes. I think sometimes. But I think that his... I think his weirdness is much more effectual at kind of uh, mystifying and re-enchanting the mundane than it is uh, necessarily touching on some kind of, like, transcendental truth does that make sense
2: yeah yeah totally and I was just uh um, I mean I, it, the question arose because I've been trying to dip back into like spirituality I've been trying to feed my soul lately basically mm-hmm. um you know we're you know like you and I are both real into like occult shit and mm-hmm. magic and stuff and I I don't know it's been a, it's been a rough summer And it's just like, I haven't done a lot of nurturing of the soul, really. Uh. And I've felt very, you know, very angry and stuff. And I've just been trying to feed some more positivity uh, into myself. And I was reading up on, like, at the same time as watching this, because I watched it in about three sessions, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. I was reading teachings of uh, Baha'u'llah, which is, like, sort of. A mirror image Buddha for people who don't know You can go look up uh, Yeah I don't know this either B-A-H-A Apostrophe U Apostrophe L-L-A-H And um I, I, I won't do a breakdown Of who this is because I just sort of stumbled upon it I'm not an expert But I uh Came across one teaching that just Resonated with me Uh about transcendence, and I had it on my mind while watching The End of Agitator, that each individual must purge his breast, which is the sanctuary of the abiding love of the Beloved, of every defilement, and sanctify his soul from all that pertaineth to water and clay, from all shadowy and ephemeral attachments. He must so cleanse his heart that no remnant of either love or hate may linger therein, lest that love blindly incline him to error, or that hate repel him away from the truth
0: boom that's a banger ass quote dude that's a good one and I think that it touches on some stuff that we've talked about um, about like trying to get close I mean that, that's a really flowery way of getting to a who cares mindset about, <laughs> about a lot of shit
2: yeah yeah. it's about being aloof and keeping it real yeah like don't be biased to you know don't be biased and don't be blind
0: yeah exactly like get shit off of your chest pretty much immediately Um, but also, like, don't, don't care too much. I think that that's, like, a misinterpretation that people might have of you and me from listening to this podcast or reading our Twitter feeds or whatever. Like, we are, we're speaking in the, in the kind of register of the medium itself, right? Marshall McLuhan said this a long time ago, the medium is the message. And the medium of podcasting is basically, um, shit talk, Right? and so is twitter right so when you get on those things if you want to use them effectively you have to sort of engage in a shit talk register but overall man i mean that's it's not really how i like live my my day to day you know i don't walk around pissed off about shit it's just kind of like that is what manifests when you engage in these in these mediums so i need to get better at it i mean i know that i would love to be able to live without any uh, bitterness or anger in my heart and i would also you know like to be able to hold the things that i love a bit more loosely so that i don't have so much anxiety but uh that's just a practice man that's like an everyday it's like an everyday thing
2: yeah yeah well and it's you know it's all um podcasting is also an invitation to uh join us on a long-form journey a long-form conversation uh it's an eavesdropping medium basically Mm -hmm. and so all you're going to get is our rising signs basically Mm -hmm. but through all that over time you're going to see and by the like you're a Sagittarius uh rising right like that's your rising sign no no
0: that's my sun and my moon but my rising is Gemini
2: Gemini that's what it is so yeah now people think you're a clown yeah man and like Mm -hmm. they think I'm an Aries rising so everybody thinks I'm a Lighter. Like they think I am a shit talker, and I mean I ain't afraid to. But you know, yeah, that's that's not uh, that that's not my soul.
0: No, that's uh, no, it's not. It's just it's, it's just it, well, and it's just again, it's just the it's the just the function of the medium, basically. I mean, do, I don't think that it would be very interesting for a podcast to just be us getting on here and talking about how much we love everybody. I mean, that would get pretty boring pretty quick. You know, you know, you know who else is great. I, I listen. I try listening to some podcasts like Waypoint, which is like a video because I wanted to find a good video game podcast because I'm I'm getting into like God of War and I've already been into like Dark Souls and shit like that. But I like listen to them and they're all like heavily on like a left liberal slant on things. And so as they talk, they're like they're like so you know not to use a problematic term, but and all this like equivocation and you know and they 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 do critique games but they they're always like very careful to like never never rock the boat never upset people um and uh i have a little bit of that in me i'm going to do my best to like purge it as much as possible to reach some like the idea is to reach some kind of equilibrium i think at the end of the day right where you you want to be able to be honest and tell shit like it is uh, without necessarily dipping in too much into, like, self-censorship. Although, sometimes self-censorship is a good thing, right? Like, I wouldn't tell, you know, my mom some some shit that I tell you. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, like people, yeah. people argue these points about everything back and forth, and it gets so tiresome because, like, I'll watch their arguments about things, and I'm like, you know, it's like, I hate to be this guy, but it's kind of like both. It's kind of a little bit of both. I think, I think both of <laughs> y'all should, like, chill the fuck out and, like, relax. Um, and that, that extends to everything except for the Sean Conroe thing, because that's that's pretty much all his fault. Um, but yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: no. And it, anything that goes on record on here, I personally approach it as if uh, you got to listen to all of it. So if somebody's got a problem, it's the Joe Rogan thing, you know, mm-hmm. I never understand as somebody who listens to that show, I never understand when people go at his throat so much, except I do, I know that they didn't listen to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, if you listen to the whole thing, you could still have a contrary opinion, but you would not be so mad about it. Mm-hmm.
1: Like, mm-hmm.
0: That's, and it's the same thing.
2: It's like listen to the whole show or don't. And if you have an opinion based on not listening to the whole show, then I don't give a fuck. Yeah,
0: Jack says that all the time. It's like you have to listen to every episode of The Perfume Nationalist to get a to go on the full journey, right? And kind of see where he's coming exactly. from. And yeah, and people don't want to do that. The most common argument I see against that is like I don't need to listen to a whole show where a fucking idiot blabbers for three hours. And I'm like, well then then shut the fuck up, right?
2: Yeah, then why do you have an opinion? Then why do you have an opinion? Why are you so offended by an idiot? Yeah, why do you
0: have an opinion in the first place, you know, dummy? But, um, which, I mean, I guess you could turn back on us and say, you know, we haven't read the whole book. We haven't read Book Boy, right? I've read the sample. I read enough. I read, <laughs> I read enough. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But, you see, in a way, we're kind of doing that, right? Like, we're kind of doing that right now. Like, we haven't read the whole thing. We haven't invested the time into it. So who knows just playing devil's advocate here. I know that when when people play devil's advocate <laughs> Kelpie gets mad so that that's that's why I'm that's why, that's why I'm doing it.
2: You know my uh I just it, this is where and I've shout out to the homie Marcus. I I see that motherfucker every single day cuz uh we work together and he um he's an instigator type and I'm bipolar. So like I've been working really hard I'm trying to mellow through a conversation that is purposefully arguing with me.
0: Right. <laughs> like, right.
2: Because I get so heated. Yeah. Man. Yeah. And then when I think about it, I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Why am I so mad? Um, <laughs> but, uh mm-hmm no no yeah it's and some some shit comes down to just feeling it in my gut you know Mm -hmm. and that's something other people are gonna have to deal with it's not a winning argument but it's just like i have a sixth sense about things and i trust my gut in the same way that like i have principles and some people don't understand that i you know i have gut instincts and some people don't understand that or even believe in it Mm -hmm. but whatever it's you know I'm I'm not going to read the fucking book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not either. I'm not either. And I think it's fair to, like, just talk about this one scenario and just be like, hey, this, this is what's fucked up, you know? I mean, I've definitely gotten my share of people who've, you know, gotten mad at me on the internet, which by this point, I've been pissing people off on the internet for 10 years, so it's, uh, it's nothing new to me, um... But, yeah, I mean, I've been in situations where, man, bro, even people who know me uh, will take, like, one sentence that I wrote out of a blog that I dashed off at the last minute to hit my deadline and be like, This guy's a white supremacist! You know? Uh, So, I mean, I know what it's like to be on the other end of that shit, too. And it's not fun, but also, fuck them.
2: The thing is you just what keeps us not on the same like the whole if if you're playing devil's advocate and it's like well you know we're kind of like sean too mm-hmm. it's like no because you know that shit happens to you you roll with the punches and move on mm-hmm. what what's sean doing right now still being fake like yeah you know we can we can be accused of anything you know people can come at me for be racist misogynist whatever the fuck and you know who doesn't have to play defensive, who doesn't have to cower down, mm. like who doesn't have to be like, Oh my god, I can't believe they're trying to destroy me because they called me this horrible thing. If you're not that horrible thing, you just keep going. Yep. And it's like if that I mean, sure, that's your perception, bro. Like you don't want to really pay attention, so I don't give a fuck.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's good no i like it i like it it's a good attitude to have man i mean it's a minefield out there and i still stick to the nick mullen thing that i heard on come years and years ago and he was like if you just never say anything it everything just keeps rolling basically so it's hard for me i like to talk shit so it's it's sometimes hard for me to like not address things but yeah, I just mostly I'm just like, man, I know a lot of those people and they have to be them. They have to wake up every morning and be them. Which uh whew. I wouldn't want to do that shit. So No Nothing No thank you. Not, I don't nothing but blessings. I don't, want the
2: literary, I don't want the literary equivalent of Courtney Love like holding a knife over my throat Mm-mm. waiting to cash in her poetry book off of my desk. <laughs> 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 and if you know, you know.
0: Oh, they see that fentanyl's fentanyl's in the coke, and they're and like deep down, they're like, "Fuck yes, finally, finally." How many people do you think are going to die of fentanyl overdoses in the next year? So many. Yeah.
2: Like, please, like if people listening, like, oh, he's he's wishing death upon people. Like, I don't give a fuck what happens to losers who think doing drugs is cool, rich kids buying all this shit off of their parents' money, like, I don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. But I've got friends mm-hmm. in this shit, mm-hmm. and it's, like, it, it it's really bothering me. Like, friends right now, presently, yeah. and, it, and it's it, it's unsettling. Like, like I, I don't... They're doing fentanyl like... I understand it, cause, They're doing it on purpose? Yeah, yeah. Like, and... Oof. And, and I mean, I... I don't know if it's one of those like i get it i try i try to maintain as much i've grown a lot from where i was like 10 years ago but or even seven years ago but so i try to remember what that feeling was like this reckless hopeless abandonment of who gives a shit and i'm gonna die in five years anyways if i even make it that long and Mm -hmm. the whole trying to go out with a bang or whatever it you know it's it, it's hard to even at this point articulate what it was like what, but i felt it before so i get it mm-hmm. but it's just like you're watching on the sidelines like i really hope i really hope you do make it through this yeah i really <laughs> hope this doesn't because it's it's a roulette game
0: it is a roulette yeah it's a big roulette game that's that's where i was too when i was really into like research chemicals and shit i just like there's the kind of suicide where people are, um, you know, uh, they're going to, like, hang themselves or whatever. And then there's the kind of, like, it's not exactly being suicidal, but it's more just being like, I literally don't care. And, I mean, it could go either way, and it's all the same to me. And that's that was my experience of, uh, you know, sleeping in my car and, uh, you know, my 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 friends, whom I still love, kind of taking pity on me and giving me. Giving me drugs. You you know what I mean? Like, they didn't know any better. They were just like, damn, you look sad, bro. Why don't you take this? You'll not be sad anymore. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, like, I, I, like you said, I see that in a lot of people, and there's, like, nothing you can really say to those people to get them out of it. Like, they have to come to it on their own. But it is fucking scary, because you're like, man, not everybody makes it out of this thing alive. So, fingers crossed for for the good ones who are who are currently suffering you know to kind of get through all that shit but i mean yeah
2: and and on a principal note and on an agitator note Mm -hmm. that's just where i'll i'll say that that's where the line is drawn for me like i have compassion and serious like my heart hurts uh even right now thinking about it like for my friends going through this shit, mm-hmm. and that's part of why I fucking hate, I despise to the core of their beings the people who just think that shit is cool, who just have no, you have no reason to be doing drugs. I guess because you have no soul, so you're trying to fill a void. Mm-hmm. So I don't give I I don't give, a, I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck about these people, mm-hmm. and I they can, they can take this clip, they can take whatever clip they want. Like fuck them. I'll never fuck with you ever hope one day um we're sharing shelf space so i can still be like yeah fuck those people right i've never liked them
0: yeah i like it we'll just end there
2: hell yeah